Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I am your host, Joanna. Let's get started. Hi guys and welcome back to Bouncing Back where we talk all things personal resilience. I'm your host Joanna and today we're going to be talking about nutrition and the role it plays in impacting how we feel and behave but importantly how we can harness good eating habits to boost our mood. So to help us unpack this I'm joined by Penny Dillon and Penny is a counsellor and clinical nutritionist and helps clients further enhance their mental health energy levels and sleep, just to mention a few. Hi, Penny. How are you today? Good. Thank you. How are you today, Jane? I'm great. Thank you for joining us here and coming into the studio. Excellent. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, Before we get into everything, would you like to tell us a bit about who you are and what it is you do? Um, Yeah. So I'm Penny Dillon. Um, I'm a clinical nutritionist and I'm a counsellor and I do wear lots of different hats. So um, sometimes I'm a volunteer at Lifeline. Uh, so once a fortnight, to be specific. Um, and I also teach mental health first aid when I'm not counselling people um, or providing nutrition support. And I also do a lot of uh, wellbeing presentations as well. So wellbeing and kind of stress and resilience, that sort of stuff. So I do wear lots of different hats, um, but I love that. I love that my work is so kind of varied and, and cool. And on a more personal note, I have three teenage boys uh, and I've got a foodie husband, which is very lucky because I'm not the best cook myself, despite being a nutritionist. And um, I have a staffy who <laughs> I absolutely adore. So, yeah, so she's four years old. <laughs> That's beautiful. And I know you're from Sydney. Yes. So would you like to tell us what you're doing in Melbourne? Oh, over the weekend, I was doing a workshop. Uh, so I got in on Thursday night and, yeah, so I've been here for four days now in beautiful Melbourne. So yeah. thank you for having me in your lovely city. No, we're gr- really grateful to have you here. Um, how are you finding the weather? Yeah, we chat about it's actually before. warmer than I anticipated. I've mm. kind of figured out like how to dress now, like, mm. you know, not too many layers. You just put your big jacket on and then yeah. you take it off because it's warm inside. <laughs> yeah, it's honestly so random. The weather here, it, it drives me insane sometimes, but... We love it. Yeah, I didn't I didn't expect to be a little bit overheating down here. <laughs> yeah, like normally when I step out the house, I'm like, this is nice. And then it gets really cold. And then I'm like, I put every layer possible <laughs> on and then I get inside. I'm like, oh, it's so hot. So you can never be too prepared for the weather here. I've got this big jacket that is um, like super, super cushy and it feels like putting a doona on. Oh, it's, I love that. It's so nice. And like even like the pockets are lined with yeah. like, um, uh, what's it called, you know, like yeah, fleecy, yeah, kind, fleecy, of stuff, fleecy yeah. kind of line and so I put my hands in the pockets like oh it's so nice and warm uh, <laughs> yeah winter hasn't been as bad as I thought it would be 
But yeah, let's jump into non-weather related <laughs> topics. Um, so we're going to get into a section we like to call, Have You Met Penny? So um, we're just going to get to know a bit more about you with some questions. So I'd love to start off with asking you what your favourite book is or if you've got one. Um, I have just finished a couple months ago, Lessons in Chemistry. Oh. Have you read that? Definitely not because it has the word chemistry in it, yeah. but tell me about that. No, well... I mean, I guess that was probably what puts a lot of people off, but I've absolutely loved it. It was yeah. about a woman in the 60s who probably should have been born in like um, our era and she just won't tolerate the fact that as a woman she isn't given the same opportunities as men and she's a chemist. Wow. Um, so she's definitely in a very male-dominated profession. Uh, she's a little bit odd. She's a little bit out there. She's got the, the cutest, coolest dog. Yeah. Uh, which I think everybody loves as well. Um, and so, yeah, I've just absolutely loved that. So that was beautiful. And I listened to it on audiobook, actually. Yeah. Um, and, you know, audiobooks can be hit and miss, but it was a really good audiobook. Amazing. So a bit of a Marie Curie style book? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. 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 I don't know if I'll give it a go because it is about science. And, <laughs> but you know what? I'll add it to my it's list. It's mostly about relationships and okay. life and like a woman in a man's world as opposed to not a lot of chemistry mystery stuff in there. I think I can get around it yep. then. I will add that to my list. Beautiful. So movies, are you a movie buff? Um, I do like to watch a movie and I'd like to say something really highbrow like, you know, Shawshank, which I do love. <laughs> but I'm a huge fan of The Princess Bride. Oh, yeah. So fun. Yeah. So I I've, love that. I've been watching it for, oh, I don't want to show my age, but a long, long time, <laughs> more than 20 years. And it was on recently um, at the Opera House with the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. And oh. I didn't go. And I'm like, damn it. So no. I will definitely do that next time it's yeah. in town because I think that would be really awesome. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's a classic. I love that movie. Um, our next one is about podcasts. We're podcasts. on one at the moment. Do you I listen know. to any? Yes, I do. Uh, I tend to listen to podcasts a little bit more for fun. Okay. Um, and then audiobooks might be fun or it might be for sort of more learning mm. and enriching my mind. Um, <laughs> but I do love um, true crimes and cocktails. <gasps> do tell, do tell. <laughs> I love true crime podcasts. Um, oh, they'll just pick like, you know, a um, usually it's a murder of somebody or yes. the death of somebody yeah. and then they'll go into um, and sometimes it's a group of people yeah um, and then they'll go into like everything behind it oh. so um, like they did Marilyn Monroe oh yeah so it's very uh, very cool that's so interesting yes. have you heard of Red Handed the podcast no so another really good one it's done by two British women and they are hilarious and it really unravels like every part of like the like story and it's so interesting yeah highly awesome. recommend it okay so what's it called again red-handed red-handed okay oh yeah. that's a good name it is good yeah what's the one you listen to it was called true crimes and cocktails and it's two ladies they're cousins yeah and one of them's um from a show on tv called superstore okay yeah i've heard of it yeah, yeah. and um and she's hilarious and obviously they sit there and they drink their cocktails <laughs> and they go on so many tangents which is absolutely hilarious but then they call it and they're like oh my god i'm going down a tangent again yeah, yeah. oh i love that i love when, sidebar yeah i feel like when podcasts have like a bit of a fun twist it's always more enjoyable. And next one is famous role model. It's a bit of a tricky question, I know, but it could be even just someone in your life that you find inspirational. Um, my mum. Oh, 
Beautiful. Don't worry. That was my answer when I got answered this, asked this question too. Um, so, yes, yeah, she's um, in her late 70s. I hope she doesn't mind me saying that. <laughs> and um, I mean, my dad as well, but I think, you know, my mum's still working by choice. Oh, wow. Yeah. So just because she loves it and that's what she chooses to do with her time. And she's got a really cool job. So yeah. she works in tourism. <gasps> yeah. So Beautiful. I'll call her and I'll be like, where are you? And she's like, oh, I'm just in Earth Rock. Or I'm just in like Port Douglas or I'm in like King Island or somewhere like that. Yeah. So she gets to travel around a lot. Yeah, she gets to travel around a lot. And like her clients say like, why are you still working? And she's like, why wouldn't I look where I am? Isn't this amazing? I would do that forever if I could. Yeah. That's so awesome. So, but yeah, but also she's, you know, always willing, you know, like if, if, if she knows that I need her, then, you know, she's always there on the phone or ready to come over or, yeah, yeah. she's amazing. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing <laughs> that with us. Uh, let's get into our interview questions. Excellent. So my first one for you is why do you think resilience is important in our life? Ooh. So I'm going to need you to ask that question again. I've just had a completely no, no mental um, blank. Yep. That's okay. okay. Yep. So why do you think resilience is important in our life? Well, resilience really helps us deal with what we call the normal stresses of life. So when I say normal stresses of life, it's like being interviewed on a podcast <laughs> um, or, you know, for some people, you know, doing a presentation, moving house, starting a new job. Yeah. So resilience is about being able to deal with those normal stresses and cope with them um, and also to kind of be able to stay within our window of tolerance. So um if I describe window of tolerance, if you kind of think about like two parallel horizontal bars, um, the area between those two bars is our window of tolerance. And for some people, it's really narrow. And for some people, it's really big. And we'll talk probably a little bit more about that later. And so resilience is our ability to stay within that window of tolerance and cope with those normal everyday stresses. Interesting. And I know a lot of people think that being resilient can mean also being immune to stresses and adversity in life. What do you think about that? Yeah, I completely disagree with that. It's mm. completely normal to feel stressed um, on occasion. So if you're um, if you've got a deadline, for instance, a little bit of stress is healthy because there's a little bit of stress that makes us go, oh, I better get up my ass and write that assignment yeah. or write that paper or do that boring piece of work or whatever it might be. So um, a little bit of stress is actually really motivating. Yeah. So we need stress in our life. So um, it's kind of unrealistic and um, to think that no stress is is kind of the utopia because that stress is actually kind of what helps us get stuff done. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I feel like it's a part of growing up as well. I feel like if you have no stress, you're not, there's something that has to be going wrong there if you have no stress. I feel like it's just so normal to be stressed out and have stress. Yeah. Yeah. And you see it, I guess, you know, like I've got teenage boys and so you see stress manifests itself in different ways. But, you know, if you know, for if I'm thinking of perhaps one of my children, um, you know, he's pretty chill, he's pretty cruisy. And yeah. so, um, you know, he's pretty last minute when it comes to getting assignments and stuff done because, you know, that stress doesn't kick in yeah. until the last minute. Yeah. Um, and so for other people, um, you know, I'm the type of person who likes to get stuff done really early and quickly so that mm. that stress then resolves because I don't like it sitting over me. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I feel like sometimes people use stress in different ways. Like some people like to leave things to the last minute because that stress motivates them and forces them to get things done and some people like to avoid 
the further culmination of stress. So they get things done early. So it's a very versatile thing, but totally normal. Yeah, exactly. Stress is totally normal. And it's totally, not only totally normal, but it's totally necessary for us. Yes, I think that's a very good distinction to make. Amazing. So let's jump into our topic for today. So how would you define malnutrition um, or, you know, nutritional deficiency? So malnutrition is a pretty like broad diagnosis. It refers to lots of things. So if we break down the word mal means bad. Um, and the other part of the word um, nutria is the Latin word for feed. Um, so it's, I guess, you know, bad feeding when we really, really break it down. Um, and so malnutrition can be um, being underweight, can be being overweight. It can mean that we're not accessing the nutrients in the food that we're, um, that we're eating. So it can mean lots of different things. Things. And nutritional nutritional deficiency is, I guess, a subset of malnutrition. So nutritional deficiency is when we're not um, eating the right foods to feed our body with what it needs to function properly, yeah. or our body can't access those foods um, because of our, our gut function or because of other things that are going on in our life, whatever it might be. Um, okay. Yeah. So with malnutrition, does like things like eating disorders and like body dysmorphia, does that like fall under the category of malnutrition as well? Well, body dysmorphia is a, is a, is more of an emotional issue. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I, so then I guess the output is, um, is malnutrition. Okay. Yeah. So, and that's kind of where like the whole food and mood sort of, it's so fantastic to be able to marry them up Mm. together. Um, so, and to be able to talk about, um, like the psychology behind food. Yeah. yeah. And what would you say are some of the most common misconceptions when it comes to like food and the impact it has on our mood? Um, what do you mean by that? So sometimes there are some like little myths here and there about like how food can impact us or our mood. Are yeah. there anything around oh, There's that? a lot of fads out there yeah. like, um, uh, like, you know, superfoods, like what's the latest superfood? Mm. And the reality is like superfood is just a marketing term Yeah, to say buy more blueberries or buy more of this product that I've made. Yeah. So um, I think that's one of the myths um, around. Um, and also I guess the big myth is that there's one like what one food should I eat? You know, yeah. as a nutritionist, people go like what's the one food that I should eat and it's like oh my god like yeah your body is made up of like you know trillions of cells so like there's no one food that yeah. you can eat it's actually um you know it's a wide variety of foods in a balanced way yeah um and it's not only what you eat it's sort of how you eat and when you eat okay. and sometimes also why you eat yeah, not going to lie, I was going to ask you, so what's the one food I should be eating? And then you just said that, so I'm not going to ask you that question now. Banana because they're tasty. Yes, fair <laughs> enough, we love. Banana. Although some people hate them. No, they're they're a good snack. I need to be better at eating fruit more, but that's a whole other thing. We won't get into that. Um, and so what do you think the role of personal resilience is when it comes to coping with malnutrition? Well, there's definitely a, um, a link between poor mental health and diet. So mm-hmm. um, in that, you know, if we've got um, if we've got poor diet, we're probably, you know, it's potentially going to have an impact on our mental health and we'll talk about that in a bit. But also if we've got poor mental health, it makes it harder to make good nutrition choices. Like yeah. we tend to reach for 
Um, so, we've, you know, if our resilience isn't great and um, therefore our mental health is perhaps not great, um, we tend to reach for comfort food. Yeah. You know, so it might be some, you know, I call them some, you know, some carby carbs or some chippy chips or, yeah. you know, like, I mean, and we, we all do it. I do it sometimes. You know, yeah. the other day, you know, somebody said, what do you want for dinner? And I said, I want chips. Mm, <laughs> I've yeah. had a crappy day. I want chips. And I was yeah. like, okay, no, I won't have chips. Yeah. Um, so we tend to make these food choices with things that aren't necessarily going to support and nurture our mental health. Um, and so then, you know, we eat those carby carbs and chippy chips. Um, so cakes and pastries and, you know, comfort food. Um, and then that kind of compounds the problem. And also the thing about eating foods like that is that they actually feed the, ba- the bad bacteria in the gut. Okay. And those bad bacteria have like, they like, they have a very strong voice in our mm, body. Yeah. And they're like, feed me, feed me. Like, that was good. Like, I'm going to grow some more. So can you feed me some more? Yeah. Yeah. So the more we, we eat foods like that, the more they're calling out and asking. Yeah. Hello, over here. Feed me, yeah. feed me. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes in those moments where we are like, oh, not feeling the best, maybe I'll just have this little easy, like unhealthy option. And then we tell ourselves, this is the last time I'll do it. You know, next time I'm not going to reach for it. I'll reach for something healthy. And then we keep doing that and it forms this cycle. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a big believer in every, everything in moderation. Like, yeah. you know, if you want to have a little bit of, you know, have a couple of pieces of dark chocolate after dinner at night and you can you can stick to two pieces, like, good on you. Yeah. You know, like it's actually, actually full of magnesium and antioxidants mm. um, and it's yummy as well. And, yeah, there's a bit of sugar in there. Um, but I'm not kind of like a hardcore, like, no sugar. Mm. You know, everything has to be organic. You know, like I'm quite realistic. I have three teenage boys. I, yeah. I have to be in a household full of three teenage boys. Um, And I feel like I'm digressing from the question now. But, yes, we do tend to create habits. Yeah. And um, those are habits that are really hard to break. And that's why, actually, we're better off in trying to replace them than break them. Yeah. Um, So it's very easy to fall into those habits and it's quite hard to fall out of them. And one of the reasons is that when we talk about something like sugar in particular. Yeah. It lights up the rewards receptors of the brain like you would not believe. Mm. It's um, like it's believed to be something like eight times more addictive than cocaine. Oh wow! Yeah, so it is. Yeah, it is very, very powerful stuff. And don't get me wrong; like I eat a little bit of sugar, but I'm always conscious of the impact that it has um, on my body, and also that it's very addictive. So, um, and it's not always realistic to avoid it, but being conscious that it is very addictive, um, and being mindful of, of, yeah, of what happens. And, and the other thing is if you've ever read, or I don't know if you've heard of the book, um, why French women don't get fat. No, I haven't. Yeah. So it's, it's it's an old book, but it's quite an interesting book around the mindset of like when you eat a piece of like chocolate, for example, that first piece tastes really good. Like those reward receptors Mm. in the brain, like it's actually dopamine that gets released. Um, they light up like, ooh, you know, yeah. I feel good. I feel rewarded. I feel motivated. I feel fantastic. Yeah. Um, and so we get that dopamine release and we think, oh, that was really good. I want to feel that way again. So then we eat another piece. But the way that receptors work is they kind of upgrade and they downgrade. So um, that second hit that we get is not quite as good as the first hit. And so then the body goes, oh, I really want to feel the way I did that first time. So I'll eat another one. Yeah. And then next thing you know, you've eaten a whole black yeah. block of chocolate. Yeah. So again, just being kind of mindful if you're going to, you know, have a little bit of chocolate after dinner or whenever it might be, like eating it mindfully, eating it slowly, 
kind of knowing, like even understanding that that process can help you go, well, I've had my two pieces now and that's all I need and I'm just going to enjoy what I've had and, and that's enough. Yeah, I feel like I totally can relate to that sense of excitement that comes along when you're like eating something you know you shouldn't be eating but like I like to do this thing where I've had like a good week of eating and then I'll treat myself at the end of the week and when I have that like first bite of you know ice cream big ice cream lover um I'll be like wow this is amazing I'm so excited right now but then it like slowly dwindles and I'm like oh I kind of feel bad that I'm eating this is that like a normal reaction to feel like guilt after eating a certain food? Um, it depends on your relationship with food, but also, um, you know, it does it, it does have a sort of change on our brain mm. so that, you know, that sugar is like a very kind of short-term, like light up the brain kind of effect and then it wears off and yeah. then we kind of come down and we don't feel so good about ourselves. So yeah. there's sort of a chemical thing that's happening behind the scenes there. Yeah. yeah. So it is a bit like an addiction sometimes. Yeah. 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 Wow. Um, and how would you say that what what we eat relates to our food? I mean, our mood, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Let me repeat that one. That did not make sense. Um, oh, yeah, absolute huge impact on um, on what we eat and our, and, and our mood. So when I talk about this sort of stuff, I look to, like to talk about four key neurotransmitters, yeah. and we would have heard of some of them. So we've just talked about dopamine. So dopamine is our reward, um, our reward hormone. So mm. it's, yeah, it's released like when we eat a piece of chocolate. For some people, it's when they take a certain drug. Yeah. Um, and also, um, but it's also released when we complete a task. So like somebody's written a whole book on like why you should make your bed on the, in the morning. There's a whole lot of science behind that because you've completed your like first task for the day. You've been up for like two minutes. You've made the bed. You've completed your first task. You've had a dopamine hit, a dopamine release. So you're now motivated to go on mm. to do other tasks in your day. However, we can't make dopamine without having the right inputs. Yeah. Um, and so like zinc and B6 are really kind of important for most of our neurotransmitters. Yeah. So dopamine's, um, a really important one. You can boost it other ways, like by listening to music and, um, you know, cuddling your dog. There's lots of different ways to boost it, but at the end of the day, you still need that B6 and, and zinc and some other, um, ingredients to make that, um, to make your, your dopamine. The second one is serotonin. That's our happy hormone. That's what makes us smile. I can see you're smiling at the moment. Yeah. That's that's serotonin. That's serotonin working its magic. Mm. And so a lot of antidepressants are actually designed to um, keep the serotonin that we have, like to make it work harder and make it work longer. Okay. So serotonin um, is hugely important. Um, it's actually really important for kind of like titrating anger and okay. like managing anger. So somebody who is angry a lot, like, um, you know, working on ways to boost their serotonin um, can actually be really effective. Um, then we've got oxytocin, which is, you know, you've probably heard of it as the hormone, like the breastfeeding hormone and the childbirth hormone. It's actually the hormone that makes us feel connected to other people. So yeah. me holding eye contact with you right now is releasing oxytocin. Mm. So it's it forms helps us form a connection with anybody and it's released by, you know, all genders. So it's not just a female thing. Um, and so that's really important for feeling connected to other people. And so, again, we need the right ingredients for that. Um, and then the final one, which a lot of people haven't heard of, is GABA. 
Gabba. Gabba. Oh, yeah. So interesting. Gabba is our, I like to call it our, like our handbrake or our um, inhibitory hormone. Mm. And so it's the thing that's dialing stuff back. So if you imagine you go into a really stressful situation and your um, your stress response is being activated and so you're releasing cortisol, you're releasing adrenaline, your heart rate is increasing, your breathing rate is increasing, you know, you may be starting to sweat, you're starting to feel uncomfortable. GABA is the hormone that like like um, counteracts all of that and brings everything down. Okay. So in like a child that has ADHD, we might see like not enough GABA, which is why they're kind of like can tend to be sort of up all the time. Yeah. So um, like giving them the, the right foods um, that are high in GABA or L-theanine, which the body turns into GABA, can be really effective. So it's one that I'll probably talk about a little bit, like because GABA is, um, it's it's often the one that we're, we're lacking in. Yeah. And what other like nutritional or like lifestyle factors would contribute to like having better mood and resilience? Okay. So I guess there's lots of little, like having really healthy relationships, you know, Mm -hmm. like people don't, um, they often don't give enough credit to relationships, but nurturing um, healthy relationships um, and social relationships. So not just your relationship with your partner or your kids or whatever, but um, those um, important relationships in our lives is actually the single biggest determinant of overall health, Mm. not just mental health, but overall health. Yeah. Yeah. So that is so hugely important, which is why we see like older people and they're lonely. Like it's so damaging to their health is because that you know they they're suffering from not having that human connection not having those interactions. Yeah. Um and there's lots of different things we can do to improve our resilience. Um so you know like obvious things like making sure we've got a appropriate work life balance. But when we are feeling stressed there's lots of little things that we can do like breathing. I mean, you know, we talk about breathing yeah. and it kind of seems really obvious, but there's quite a specific way that we want to be breathing to trigger the right things in our body. Mm. So the research is kind of saying that it's about six breaths per minute. Okay. Yeah. So a, a breathing, you know, breathing in and breathing out cycle about 10 seconds. doesn't have to be exact. Don't overthink it, but that's mm. kind of about how fast you want to be or slowly you want to be breathing yeah. to bring your stress levels down. And when you breathe in, you actually want it to be a pretty full, full breath. Like you want to feel your lungs kind of really fill up because we have like kind of receptors, like stretch receptors. And so when these receptors get activated, when the lungs are really, really full, it actually, the science is kind of saying that it's actually telling the rest of the body or the rest of the body actually wants to fall in line with that breathing. So if you're slowing down your breathing and you're having that big breath and you're kind of triggering those receptors, then the heart rate goes, oh, I want to fall in line with the breathing. I want to slow down. Yeah. Um, same with the blood pressure, same with the brain waves. So it's actually a really powerful thing. And then just to make it more complicated, ideally we want our out-breath to be longer than our in-breath because every time we breathe in, our heart rate increases a little bit Mm. and every time we breathe out, it decreases a little bit. Interesting. Yeah, so it's it's quite a specific type of breathing but, you know, even just breathing slowly, like if that's all you do, like that's good. Yeah, and when you were talking about breathing, I noticed myself like <laughs> hyperfixate on my own breathing. Yes. I was like, I can't breathe, I can't breathe right now. But I have noticed that like a lot of people talk about breathing techniques as like a good way to move through things. I personally think of that and I'm like, oh, does it actually work? Yeah. But you have to really give it a go for it 
to sort of have an impact. And I'm a huge believer in find what works for you. So like for some people like meditation, they're like, I just can't do it. Like there's too many thoughts in my head. They're like, that doesn't work for me. You're telling me to switch my thoughts off. I just can't do it. So for them, a visualization might be better or whatever it might be. Um, I love the five, four, three, two, one grounding technique Mm. as well. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, I've heard of it, but I don't know exactly what it involves. I actually used it yesterday. There was somebody who was like really annoying me. (laughs) And I was like, I'm just going to go into the bathroom and I'm just going to use this technique. And, and, and by the time I'd done it, I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm back. I'm present again. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that, um, when we're feeling anxious, our thoughts are kind of like outside of our head, like up above our head. They're all kind of up here and they're kind of a bit out of control and, and we're not really kind of you know, centered in our body. We're yeah. not. And so what we do is we name five things that we can see. So I can see my computer, my thumb, the microphone, you and the glass. And then four things that I can feel. So I can feel my headphones. I can feel my clothes on my body. I can feel my fingers touching each other and I can feel my shoes. Mm. And then we name uh, three things that we can hear. So I can hear your voice and I can hear my voice and this some sort of little background noise somewhere yeah. that I can hear. Then we name two things that we can um, smell. So I can definitely smell the lovely coffee that I just had. <laughs> um, and maybe there's like a perfume or something in the room, which is really lovely. And then one thing I can taste, which is my coffee. Yeah. So now I'm back into my body. Okay. Yeah. So I've kind of, um, I've brought myself away from all of those feelings or thoughts that are perhaps like running a little bit rampant, like that person was really annoying and now I'm back in my body. Okay. Yeah. So it's a way to switch off the thoughts, I guess, and like. Yeah, sort of. Come back. Yeah. And come, yeah. And come back. And what I love about it is, you know, for people who perhaps work in an office, you know, like. You don't want to be like lying down on the ground and doing meditation. Like it's like, well, what are you doing? Yeah. Like it's kind of really obvious. But yeah. something like that, and also the breathing, it's just like you can literally just kind of sit at your computer screen. You can even turn your computer screen off and just mm. kind of sit there and go, "I'm just going to do this right in this moment." You can do it in a meeting. Yeah, you think, "Oh, <laughs> this meeting's really annoying me. Yeah, it's really ticking me off." Is like just take a minute to do that and yeah. say to yourself. Amazing. I love that technique. I have actually, I've tried doing something like that before and it, it's really great actually. It makes you more aware of your surroundings, but also aware of the fact that you can step away from that situation yes. that you're in. Yeah. So that's a really great one. Do you have any specific like nutritional strategies that people could use if they're dealing with like stress or anxiety or depression? Yeah. So staying away from the sugar mm-hmm. is a really good idea. And And the thing about nutrition is it's for the most part, it's longer term, but um, there are supplements that you can take um, that are really good for like in the moment. So I guess we'll talk about long term first and then maybe come back to short term. And yeah. please remind me if I think that. No, we will. Um, it, so the research says that like again and again and again, there's so much research behind the, the Mediterranean diet mm. being really good for so many things, you know, cardiovascular health, longevity, and it's now like sort of fairly clear that it's also very good for um, mental health. Yeah. Um, So, and it's part of really what's in that is it's an anti-inflammatory diet. So there's not, you know, sugar doesn't really feature in it. Um, You know, I think it's a couple of pieces of fruit a day, lots and lots of vegetables and legumes and what have you, but also not a lot of red meat. So red meat maybe once a month. Yeah. Just I'll put a caveat on that. Like everybody has different needs. So I'm mm-hmm. talking about the Mediterranean diet, but like a growing teenage girl or boy 
is going to need more iron than that, especially if they're in puberty, especially if they're doing a lot of exercise. Um, You know, uh, women in general need more iron than that. So just, you know, everything with a grain of salt because people have very specific needs. But the Mediterranean diet again and again has come out as being really fantastic for our overall health, including our mental health. So minimal red meat, kind of once a month. Red meat is quite inflammatory. Iron itself is actually quite inflammatory. So Mm. we want enough, but we really don't want too much in our body. Yeah. Um, protein is like a lot of fish, um, a lot of seafood, a little bit of chicken, like, you know, chicken or poultry might be maybe once a week, but the, you know, the, the featured proteins are like nuts and seeds and, um, and, and, um, you know, sort of animals from the ocean yeah, as it were. Um, so as an overall diet, that's a great one to go by. And then lots of fantastic things like, um, olive oil. Um, we don't necessarily want to be heat, heating olive oil up to a, uh, high temperature cause it loses all its goodness. Okay. Yeah. So much better off cooking with something like coconut oil and you can buy that in a liquid form now from the supermarket, which I love. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. So, um, because when we heat up oils, um, particularly vegetable oils and very particularly things like canola and sunflower and safflower oil, um, that they actually become very inflammatory in our body. Okay. Yeah. Even not in that state. So things like canola and safflower oil are sort of higher in omega-6s. Um, but the omegas that we really want in our bodies that are great for our mental health are omega-3s. Okay. Yeah. So omega-3s is like oily fish. Yeah. Salmon, which I'm very unfortunately quite allergic to. Oh, no. I know. It's very, very sad. Oh. Um, so, um, but things like salmon um, and then all the oily fishes, which my dad loves, which is <laughs> maybe why he's still so switched on in his <laughs> late 70s, but things like mackerel and sardines yeah. and herrings and, Yeah. Um, which don't float everybody's boat, I'm conscious of, yeah. uh, but they're very high in omega-3s. But um, And and the omega-3 we get from um, uh, animal products is mm. actually more bioavailable to the body than the omega-3s that we get from plant-based um, foods. That's not to say that um, it's not doable, but you've just got to be mindful if you are plant-based um, to be making sure that you're getting enough of your omega-3s. Yeah. Yeah, so that's things like flax seeds, um, linseeds, some people call them, um, and even chia seeds and walnuts are really good as well for things like omega-3. Yeah. Amazing. And how does someone go about integrating these new changes into their diet? Like obviously you can't go from zero to 10 and be so great at doing all of this. So how do you recommend integrating it? It's a really great question because if we think about how the brain works, the brain doesn't like change. So if we go back to kind of like, you know, cave person time, (laughs) change was a threat, you know, like a really big climate change or, you know, a big change in the environment was a a massive threat. So we're instinctively hardwired to fear change and to react to change, which is, you know, if somebody thinks there's going to be a change in their relationship status or their job or whatever, like the response is fear and anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. But um, what we now know is that if the change is less than 10%, the brain doesn't really notice. Yeah. So we can quietly, like, you know, make these little changes slowly but surely and then the brain doesn't freak out. Okay. So that's really important. So um, if you are making changes, like if somebody came into my clinic and said, you know, I want a complete diet overhaul, I'd be like, whoa, slow down because I know what's going to happen is they're going to do it for two weeks and then they're going to, as I say, throw their toys out of the cot which is what I would do. Yeah. And go, this is all too hard. I'm not doing it. I'm going to go back to eating the way that I ate before. 
Um, so it depends on the individual, but I might say, okay, after dinner, having ice cream, as you mentioned. <laughs> um, and so like step one would be to replace, so not take away, but replace, because it's easier to replace a habit than remove a habit, replace that with a, a nice piece of fruit mm. and not like, a boring piece of fruit. Like if you if you're not really inspired pe- by pears, don't replace it with pears. Yeah. My son loves pears, but you know. <laughs> so like replace it with like some like really yummy strawberries or blueberries or something that you know feels still feels like a treat. Yeah. Yeah. So start by doing things like that, or like the next thing might be, what am I eating for lunch? I'm having fish and chips. Okay. Well, this week it's going to be I'm going to switch the deep fried fish out for grilled fish. Okay. And then down the track, you know, maybe another week later, you can swap out the chips for salad, mm. and you'll get to the point where you really kind of start craving that food. Yeah. And the thing is, for some people, there's a lot of easy fixes. Like it's not perceived as a change. Like if I say to somebody, look you know, you're having a lot of dairy. Dairy is also unfortunately inflammatory. It's also not great for a lot of women if they've got any kind of hormonal issues, skin issues, perimenopause, menopause, anything like that. Um, So, um, you know, I'll be like, okay, well, can you swap out your normal coffee for an almond milk coffee? They're like, sure, I can do that. The brain doesn't even see that as a change. Yeah. So like finding those low-hanging fruits can be really... um, can be really good as well. So easy, quick fixes that aren't sort of hard or threatening. Yeah. So slowly but surely you'll get there and it's about reinforcing good habits, but that'll take time, obviously. Yeah. And replacing bad habits with good habits as opposed to stopping bad habits. Okay. Amazing. And I know we mentioned the short term before, but we're going to come back to that. Are you happy to talk about that one? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Well, I mean, there's probably some more things I can talk about on the on the on the long term as well like eating a diet that is like a very wide variety of foods i know mm-hmm. that sounds really basic but like we don't want to be eating just bananas every day yeah you know like have a couple pieces of fruit try and make sure that they're different colors yeah, yeah. okay um because there's like phytonutrients in those colors so even like a green apple versus a red apple like there's different nutrients in there. There's different chemical messengers in there that do fantastic things in our body. So, yeah. you know, like each day, like don't overthink it. But, you know, when you pl- when you serve up your dinner plate, is there something, you know, red, green and orange, for example? Yeah. So don't just have all green or all red. Um, so a wide variety of foods. And people say, what's the best nut? Again, like mix them up. Yeah. Like macadamias. Um, are, you know, uh, have a different nutritional um, sort of profile to like Brazil nuts that are very high in selenium. So they're good for our thyroid. Yeah. Also our sperm health, <laughs> if you're a guy. Um, and then, um, you know, like, as I mentioned before, so walnuts are really high in omega-3. So like they all have almonds really high in calcium. So yeah. So always mixing it up. Okay. Yeah. And not just kind of going every day I eat the same thing because you're probably depriving yourself like unintentionally of um, really good nutrients. Um, try and eat, you know, something from the sea each day. That can be hard. Yeah. Yep. Because that's got iodine, which again is really good for our thyroid. Yeah. The thyroid's important for mental health because it's actually what kind of is a very strong link between the thyroid and the the brain <laughs> and the gut. Yeah. Um, and then things that feed our gut health. Okay. So fermented foods yeah it's okay if you don't like sauerkraut um you can go to the supermarket and buy some um uh some kefir 
Okay. Not look, it's not as good as making it yourself, but I'm kind yeah. of a firm believer in making it accessible to people. Because if I say to you, like, you know, go and make your own kefir, you'll be like, <laughs> Are you serious? Like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. It's all right. You can go to the supermarket and buy it. It's you know, it'll still feel the good bacteria in your gut. Yeah. So fermented foods. Um, kombucha is another good one. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. kombucha. Uh, and, and some people are actually really good at making that themselves. Yeah. Um, but then also fibre-rich foods that feed those good bacteria. So there's actually as many bacteria in our body, in our gut, as there are like cells in our body. So we're literally half bug. <laughs> and we have like a symbiotic relationship with them like it's this yeah. kind of two-way relationship we need them they need us like yeah. without those bugs without that bacteria we can't digest our food like they actually make they actually support the the um, production of neurotransmitters so without that good bacteria we can't make our serotonin we can't make our dopamine so one of the ways we feed them is fiber yeah. So fiber-rich foods. So that is again like fruits and vegetables and and whole grains, but particularly fruits and vegetables. Mm. Yeah. So not orange juice, but like an orange smoothie. Like yeah. Yeah. So you keep the whole fruit rather than extracting the juice because the fiber is actually in the whole fruit. Okay. Yeah. So substituting is another great way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And that's something that can be done in the short term, too. Yeah. So. Um, I guess when we're talking about short term, if you're about to go into a meeting and you're feeling really stressed, then like something that you could do in the short term is like take some magnesium. Okay. Yeah. So magnesium is used for over 300 um, enzyme rea- like reactions in the body. It's it's like it's super, super important. It's a really common deficiency. And the interesting thing about magnesium is that for every molecule of sugar we eat, we need 250 molecules of magnesium to process it. Okay. We also need magnesium for things like muscle relaxation, which is why, you know, if you're feeling stressed, like you might be feeling really tense. So there's like that magnesium is is deficient. Yeah. Um, it's also um, really good at calming the nervous system. So it's a great one to take before bed. It doesn't make you sleepy, but it calms the nervous system. So if you're lying in bed at night in particular and your brain's going, yeah, that magnesium will help to calm um, calm the mind and can really nicely send you off to sleep. And so it's quite hard for the body to digest those kind of, you know, supermarket chemist big magnesium tablets. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, they come in like interesting forms. Yes, yeah. so um, so powder is really the is a great way to go. Um, and there's some really sort of good tasting powders out there. I, I know a lot of people much prefer tablets, Um but magnesium's probably the one of the few ones where I'd go like that is much better as a powder. And so if you've got a presentation and you're, you know, crapping yourself, <laughs> um, having, you know, four hundred milligrams of magnesium right beforehand can really calm you down. Okay. Yeah. And is that like a sure fix or is everyone going to be different? Everybody's different. So yeah. it depends on what your deficiency is. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's it would be my it would be my go to. Like it would be the first thing that I would try. I wouldn't try it for the first time directly before a presentation because for some people, certain types of magnesium can make their bowels a little bit loose. Okay. <laughs> so I can see where this is going. Yeah, yeah. Try it at home first just to make sure you're okay. Yeah. Um, and, it, and again, that depends on the individual and it can be really hard to know. So, you know, we always try to test these things out for, um, yeah. So for my clients, I might even like let them try it in a consultation. How's that for you? Mm. Okay. You like the taste of that? Okay, right. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then we can we can go away and give that a real red hot try. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um. So the other thing I talked about GABA before. So often, if we're feeling anxious before a meeting or whatever it might be or an interaction, um, our GABA's you know not kicking in, mm. and so we might need some L-theanine, which the body converts to GABA, um, to calm us down. And we actually have L-theanine in tea. Okay. So black tea, green tea, oolong tea. Those three. Yeah, so there's actually science behind, you know, when people say, well, you know, why don't we have a cup of tea? Like there's a reason there. There's this beautiful nutrient in there mm. that helps calm us down. Yeah. It's not a huge amount, but it's enough to make a difference. For sure. Um, but you can also, um, if you go and see like a nutritionist or naturopath, you can actually um, buy or you they can, they can prescribe for you L-theanine. Um, and so you can just take a little tiny bit of that. Um, before you're doing like like a high school kid, it might be before an exam. Yeah, really good for panic attacks as well. Okay. Yeah, so that's kind of more of a preventative thing because obviously once you're in the middle of a panic attack, like yeah, you don't have the headspace to be thinking about oh, what are my go-to tools here because <laughs> your body is yeah. really in in fight or flight mode. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, and just on that, if I'm okay to talk about fight or flight, go for it. Um, I guess. Our body has these kind of two main states, which is rest and digest Mm -hmm. and fight or flight. Yeah. So obviously we want to spend most of our lives in rest and digest. Yeah. But we do have the fight or flight response there for a reason. Okay. So, you know, again, in Cape People times, it's because we're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger or (laughs) whatever it might be. Um, But what's interesting about the body is that it doesn't differentiate between a like so that stress response it's in a part of the brain called the amygdala and so mm. um the amygdala kicks in whether it's a physical threat or a psychological threat yeah so we might have the same response to being chased by a saber-toothed tiger as we would by being bullied at work okay yeah so uh elevated heart rate uh rapid shallow breathing we might sweat um, it might start to look like a little bit like a, a panic attack. We might get that tightness of chest, you know, almost, you know, in extreme cases, almost starting to sound like a bit like a heart attack. So you've, you know, yeah. you've got to be careful if you're having these symptoms. You should always go and get checked out by your GP, like, hey, this is what I'm feeling. Yeah. You know, always go and check in with your GP. Um, but so we we have these physical responses that can be re- incredibly frightening and can be really distracting mm. uh, because the other thing that happens is the blood flow in the body changes. So the blood flow goes to our heart and our muscles so that we can run faster away from that saber-toothed tri- tiger. Yeah. Um, and, um, and also we're releasing like adrenaline, we're releasing cortisol, we're releasing like lots of things to make our, like be able to make quick decisions. But what happens is that the blood flow is directed away from things that the body consi- considers to be not essential in that like, you know, fear in that sort of crisis moment. Yeah. Um, so away from the digestive system. Okay. So it's not uncommon if people are very, very stressed to have digestive disorders. It's it's a it's one of the most common sort of symptoms of um of something like anxiety. Mm. Um also it also gets diverted away from things like our reproductive organs. Mm. So that's why, you know, stress is really um bad for things like conception. So Using those um, techniques that I talked about before, like the breathing or taking the L-theanine or taking the magnesium, um, can bring us out of that 
um, fight or flight state and back into rest and digest. Okay. Yeah. And the more that we practice doing these things, the better we get at them. So things like exercise, if you think about when you exercise, your heart rate increases. Yeah. You sweat. Mm-hmm. Your breathing becomes faster, which looks very similar to, um, you know, when we're feeling stressed. So when we exercise, the anxiety-prone person can actually start to recognise that those symptoms can be safe. So the symptoms of the elevated heart rate and what have you can be safe because that's how I feel when I exercise. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that exercise can be so fantastic for mental health. It also um, increases or it pr- pr- helps sort of stimulate the production of serotonin, a happy hormone. Okay, yeah. so there's a lot of chemistry behind a lot of this is what I'm realising. <laughs> yeah, and you, you're not a big fan of chemistry. <laughs> not at all, but it makes sense when you explain it in that way, especially when you use like analogy with like cave people, yeah. you know, <laughs> running away from saber-toothed tigers. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. So I guess getting back to like nutrients, like the, the two for me, I mean, there's no like there's a few key nutrients. Magnesium is really, really important. Mm-hmm. So yes, we can take magnesium, but it's also in like nuts and seeds and leafy greens. Zinc is really, really important. It's a common deficiency. If you've got little white spots on your fingernails, you possibly got a zinc deficiency. Um, if you get that little thing where, you know, where your eyelid just kind of twitches, like, yeah. it flood- like it flutters. Yeah. That's because we need zinc to move like for the muscles to move from contraction into relaxation and vice versa. And it kind of gets stuck in the middle. So it's neither relaxing nor contracting. Yeah. Um, So if that ever happens to me, I'm like, ooh, I'm low on zinc. Okay. I didn't know that. That happens to me sometimes. I'm like, oh, why is that happening? Yeah. So zinc's a really big one. Oysters are really, really good form um, of really high in zinc. Um, And um, as are sort of meats and, and, again, like nuts and seeds. Um, and then the other one that's hugely important is B6. So it's an integral um, component of, or ingredient rather, yeah. of um, of those neurotransmitters that I talked about before. Um, and so sources of B6, the main ones, bananas, yeah. <laughs> which is why I mentioned bananas before. I do love them as a food. Um, and also um, things like pumpkin seeds are really high in B6 as well. Yeah. yeah so Amazing. they're a really good snack. You know, put them on top of your, you know, if you can find a healthy cereal or make your own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have them on top of a salad. You know, some people like to toast them up and have them in a little jar and pop them on top of the salad to increase the amount of protein that you have in your salad. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. There's so many little tips and tricks you've given us. So thank you for sharing that. I'd love to jump into our practices and experiment debrief section. So I'm just going to ask you about your way of doing all of this. So is there a practice that you would recommend that to deal with malnutrition um, that you might use? So most nutritionists and naturopaths will start with the gut. Yeah. Um, And it's a fantastic place to start, but depending, excuse me, on the person I might start with energy because if somebody is so completely exhausted that they're sort of not really functioning, Mm. then a dietary sort of overhaul as sort of slow and progressive and paced as it might be is potentially going to be too much for them if they just kind of don't have the energy to even like, you know, mentally get themselves to the supermarket or order the things that they need. Yeah. So I'm I sometimes will actually start with energy. It's not like the, you know, the recommended protocol, but if you can't get out of bed because you're so bloody tired, then Mm. yeah. 
Um, so I might actually start with some quick fixes like some spirulina. Okay. If you're allergic to iodine, don't go there. <laughs> um, so I might start with some spirulina or I might start with um, like a, a B, B5 supplement that's got some herbs and stuff in it that um, are really good for the adrenal glands to get them kicking in, to give them that energy. Yeah. Um, so once this sort of got to that point of, okay, I can kind of function now, then we'll go in and start making some dietary changes. Okay. Um, and so then we'll start with the gut. So it's like, okay, how do we minimise sugar? Because those little bacteria that I talked about before love sugar. Mm. Yeah. So do cancer cells, by the way. Okay. Yeah. So those little bacteria there, they love sugar and they have a very loud voice. So they're constantly like knocking, feed me, feed me, feed mm. me. Um, so trying to minimize the sugar and replace it with other things or even like replace it with low sugar options. Um, and there's some really good ones around now, like even things like tomato sauce, like, you know, you can buy low sugar tomato sauce, you yeah. know, in a couple of different brands. So you're really starting to look on the back of the packaging. Don't look at the serving, like how much sugar per serve, look at how much sugar per hundred mils, because by law, everything's required to state the sugar content. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll always look and go, okay, this tomato sauce has this much sugar, this tomato sauce has this much sugar, that's my better option. Mm -hmm. So you're always comparing like with like and you start to get a feel for this muesli bar, which we were talking about before. This muesli bar has 27% sugar and this muesli bar has 11% sugar. Okay, I'm starting to get a sense of what's a better option for me. Yeah. Um, So trying to minimise sugar to make sure that we're not feeding that bad bacteria in our gut and causing inflammation in the body. Mm -hmm. Because remember, like, inflammation in the body, it's not just the body, it's the brain. Yeah. Um, So inflammation in the brain, we know, like, it impairs our memory. We have cognition issues. It can, you know, also lead to things like, you know, Alzheimer's and, um, you know, and also increase our risk of anxiety and depression. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so then really starting to um, feed the gut. So, you know, either with something like some fermented foods and we might throw in a good quality probiotic in there as well. Yeah. Remember there's lots of different strains of bacteria in the gut. So we want to, if we're taking a probiotic, we want to actually, every time we run out, we actually potentially want to mix it up and go with a different one. Okay. Because they all have different profiles. So, you know, this one might have, you know, lactobacillus rhamnosus and the next one might have plantarum or whatever it is. So mixing it up is a really good thing. Um, So that's the second thing that I would be doing and then starting to incorporate some fibre in the diet. So like what can we like replace at at mealtimes? How can we maybe take out some of those highly processed carbohydrates Mm -hmm. that is, you know, that that we all know are not great for us Um, and maybe replace them with... um, with some more fiber. So, you know, I might say to somebody, if you're having, um, you know, if you're having a, I don't know, like a spaghetti bolognese that's got lots of vegetables in it, can you dial down the pasta a little bit each time? And can you dial up the bolognese part, making sure that there's lots of different (laughs) vegetables in it? Um, yeah. So that's what I would do. But I personally, I now make my own cereal because it's been really, it's hard to find cereals that are low in sugar. It's getting better. Um, and mine is like just a mix of nuts and seeds and chia seeds and flax seeds and Brazil nuts and what have you. Um, and I also make my own bread. So, yep. What would you say are some of the challenges when it comes to keeping up these good habits that you have? Time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's for everybody. 
you know, so, um, yeah, finding the time, um, I think is, is the, the thing that people will challenge, like struggle with most. So if somebody comes to me and wants to like kind of overhaul their eating and to improve their mental health, I want to know what does their day look like? Mm -hmm. Like, do they have to be in the office at five o'clock in the morning? Like it's probably not realistic for them than to, you know, have some scrambled eggs with like mushrooms and, you know, and baby spinach at four o'clock in the morning. They yeah. probably don't feel like eating like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like if they're a tradie, like they're on the road all day, um, they, they might not have kind of, they're unlikely to have kind of a refrigeration in their in their truck or their van or whatever they're driving around. Um, and so they only have access to kind of whatever they can get on the run. So I like to figure out what their day looks like and what they have access to so mm -hmm. that when we, because um, like a lot of healthy eating, my best friend says this to me all the time when I talk to her about it. She's like, it's logistics. And I'm like, yeah, it is logistics. Healthy yeah. eating is often about logistics. So logistically, what will work for you? Um, so please remind me of the question. That's okay. Um, what are the challenges? Are oh, the when challenges? It comes yeah. To, yeah, yeah. So logistics, so logistics are the challenges. So figuring out, um, you know, if if you're in an office, you've probably got access to a fridge. So you know, you might be able to do some meal prep on a Sunday, um, and make yourself um, sort of a salad that's going to last you a couple of days in mm -hmm. the office. So like that's sort of, I would say, relatively easy. But what I would be doing on a Sunday is I would be like boiling up half a dozen eggs. Okay. So that I can have them, I'll just have them sitting in the fridge or have them sitting in the fridge at work and then I might bring in my fresh salad each day and then I can just pop my egg on top and like that's done. So having as much pos as stuff as possible like at your office or a jar of nuts so that when you're hungry you can snack on the nuts rather than, you know, going out to the vending machine and buying a chocolate bar. Yeah. Bringing in a week's worth of fruit rather than a day's worth of fruit as long as there's no fruit flies at the office. Yeah. For example, I work from home. So um, for me, I'm, you can do this if you're in an office, but, you know, like I'm looking at what do we have for dinner last night? Is that going to work for lunch today? So we overcook most nights. And then my boys have to clean up from up from dinner each night. And I have to say they are very good at it. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's enthusiastic, but yeah. they know that they have to do it. Um, and and it, it, they do a pretty good job. So, but part of that process is they're actually packing up their lunch for the next day, which is whatever's, you know, is, is often leftovers from whatever we had because we eat quite well. Yeah. Um, and so that's again so logistically that's what works for um for us i'm a big bad a bad i'm a big fan of um of smoothies so for yeah. some people like prepping some of that the night before um and having sitting in the fridge and in the morning they'll just like and then they might drink it on the way to work okay yeah um you know, ideally we want to be eating mindfully but it's not always practical like if you're a tradie like I mean, I guess, you know, you can pull over somewhere and, and try and find somewhere nice to eat. We definitely don't want to be eating in front of the news <laughs> because if we're watching something stressful on television, yeah. you know, like a natural disaster or something, that's stressful. That's releasing stress hormones. It's diverting our blood flow away from our digestive system okay. to other parts of our body. And so we're not going to digest that very well. Yeah. You know, we're really going to – our body's really going to struggle to do that. So would you recommend, like – eating and watching TV, is that like okay or is there like some sort of link between that? Uh, do you want to know what we do in practice or what I would recommend? 
what you would recommend? Um, I'm still going to tell you what I do in practice. We developed a bit of a bad habit during COVID. So we don't do it every night, but mm. we do as a family. We do, we're watching that 70s show at the moment. Yeah. And so we do sometimes, um, you know, we might start dinner and have a little bit of a chat and then like halfway through dinner, we'll put on that 70s show. Yeah. Um, which is all right because it's kind of funny, you know. Mm. So it's so that I, I guess I rationalise that that's all right. Uh, but we do try and eat together as a family. Yeah. Um, that's that's ideal. But if you live on your own, like that's not always practical. So like, give yourself a break. Yeah. But I probably wouldn't be watching like a like murder mystery, like you know, or a, like a, a horror movie or something like that. Yeah. If you are going to eat in front of the TV, think about. You know, is this going to impact? Is this going to make me feel a little bit stressed? Is this like a nail biter? Okay. You know, that is, I'm going to get a little bit agitated, which is that's what they're designed to do. Yeah. Um, but that's not going to be great for your digestion. Okay, I didn't actually know that there was like a correlation between that, but I do find comfort in food. So I guess if it is a stressful situation that I am watching unfold, I'm going to find comfort in the food that I'm eating. Yeah. Yeah. And then just in terms of barriers, like we just want to make sure that we're planning ahead. So like, have I got, have I got fruit in the fruit bowl? Have I got vegetables in the fridge? You know, have I got backup vegetables in the freezer if I get stuck? Mm. Um, And so, you know, there's online shopping, there's lots of different ways around that, but just kind of thinking a little bit ahead, like my routine is I have a fruit and veg service that's on a Tuesday. So making sure that on, on the weekend I sort of go in and go, yeah, this is what I need. So it's a little bit of organisation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but also, um, you know, like if you've got kids especially, just, you know, don't just cook one meal. You're in the kitchen, you're making a mess anyway. If you're cooking like a, you know, a stew or like a big salad or whatever it might be, like make double, make triple, like freeze it if you can. Mm. You know, like don't keep on going back into the kitchen every night if you don't love it and you don't have to. If you can make, you know, if you can make a triple bag bowl or whatever it might be, like, please, please do that. You know, save yeah. yourself some time so that you've always got that healthy option in the freezer rather than going, oh, I can't be bothered. So I think I'm just going to order, you know, pizza or, you know, Thai, which is really sweet. Yeah. You know, very lots of, very high in sugar. Yeah. Yummy. That's so delicious. <laughs> so delicious. Yeah. But very high in sugar. Okay. Yeah. So just a little bit of planning there. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. And I feel like if you are someone that is pressed for time, Finding ways to save time can help you have better eating habits. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. And how do you I, find... Can I just actually yeah. make one more comment? That if you've got like little, like really little kids, you know, like your one-year-old, you know, should be hopefully eating not super dissimilar to what you're eating. So, you know, like when we, when the kids were little, we sort of realised pretty quickly that if we made like... You know, if we have a chicken roast and we roasted some pumpkin, then we could just kind of, you know, make sure it was soft enough and then there it was done. Mm. So it wasn't, we, you know, we, we never kind of wanted to be in a situation where you don't want to be in a situation where you're making multiple meals for different people in the family. I know some families have to do that for you know, whatever reason, they might have a kid that's on the spectrum that's very, very fussy yeah. or they might have a kid that has specific nutritional needs. But if you can try and get everybody eating together as a family and eating the same food, um, it will save so much time and energy and angst. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. And have you found that this has really improved your resilience or like perspective in life a lot by having these habits? Yeah. So I'm, I find I'm definitely in a much better place when I'm eating well. Mm. Um, I always struggle a little bit after Easter, you know, the sugar yeah. creeps back in yeah. and I can feel, I can feel it impacting my, um, 
my mental health. Okay. Yeah. So um, I try and, you know, I try and without being obsessive about it, we don't like to be obsessive about food, you know, just don't, don't make it too complicated and too strict. Um, but yeah, having those techniques has really helped me. Like I always know at lunchtime, even if I've only got like 20 minutes between clients or whatever it might be, there's always a boiled egg in the fridge. So I can always like whip up a salad. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So that's really great. You're really setting yourself up to do well for you. Yeah. And make it easy. Like, yeah. and it, cause it's easy. It's like, there's less of a temptation to turn to something that is sort of quick and quick and nasty. Mm. Beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing those little tips and tricks with us. I'd love to move into our open mic section now. So you can talk about genuinely anything you'd like to. Oh, gosh. Um, I guess one of my passions is food Mm counselling. So I talked before about you know, I was a nutritionist and then um, I am a nutritionist. Um, and then I'd have these clients that would come in that would have these sort of emotional issues. And I was like, ah, oh, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I trained as a counsellor and I bring the two together. And it's really fascinating because, you know, you will have somebody who is like, I oh, like, I eat really well. And then, you know, and then, you know, a couple of times a week, I've just got to go into the pantry and eat a packet of Tim Tams, like a whole packet of Tim Tams. And I don't crave them at any other time of the day, but then somehow, you know, that that's what happens to me. Yeah. Um, and what I love to do is root around and figure out why, you know, mm. and, you know, they might say, well, I thought you were just going to tell me to put a post-it note in the pantry. <laughs> don't eat the Tim Tams. I'm like, well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah. Um, or you'll have somebody who has no problem eating breakfast and dinner but lunch is a real issue for them. Mm, and, you know, yeah. they've got really disordered eating around lunch because disordered eating is can be a precursor to eating disorders, okay. which is a whole kind of another kind of kettle of fish. Yeah. Um, or you'll have somebody who really struggles with breakfast and dinner, but they have no problems with lunch. Okay. Or they just can't get themselves on a good track. And so when we kind of root around in the problem and the family of origin and their upbringing and what have you, Often what you'll find there is there's something. There is, um, you know, there's a sense of loss about somebody leaving them. So when their family leaves the house during the day, they need that packet of Tim Tams. Okay. Or, um, you know, they've always been taught to put other people before themselves. And so in that case, it's really hard to look after your own health because you're always thinking about other people. What will they want to eat? What will my partner want to eat? What will my friend want to eat when we go out? Rather than thinking, what does my body need? Yeah. What do I need? I need to put myself first. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'm too busy doing things for other people. Or it might be, um, you know, they're bullied at school. You know, it could be that they came from a different background and, you know, all the white kids were sitting there eating their Vegemite sandwiches and they were eating, you know, something that was different. It was yeah. probably a whole lot more nutritious nutritious yeah. than that, like, crappy white, you know, bread sandwich. Uh, and they were given a lot of crap for that. So, like, the concept of, you know, they, they never had a great lunchtime experience. So that's carried, like, with them throughout life. Um, or they had a crappy home life. So actually lunchtime was fine. But home was bad because of whatever reason, you know, because their family was giving them a hard time at breakfast and dinner constantly, constantly, constantly. So it's just really always really interesting to kind of root around and figure out what is happening below the surface to help them understand. 
And what's really interesting about that is with a lot of people, the minute they can unlock that or we can unlock that together and go, oh, it's because of X, Y, Z, they they immediately have this kind of realisation. And for some people it's like, oh, okay, well, I don't need to eat that packet of Tim Tams anymore. Yeah. I just don't need to because I understand why. Or I go into the pantry and I go, wait a minute, what am I doing here? What's this about? I know what this is about. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so I need to check in with myself and use some strategies to um, to to, you know, pull myself out of how I'm feeling right now and those memories that I'm having and, and feeling triggered. Yeah. So, th- like, those light bulb moments for me are, like, amazing. They're absolutely amazing. And they're ama- and you can see that, like, clients just go, like, their whole face is like, yeah. what? Oh, my God. Like, yeah. I never thought of that. It just makes so much sense. So yeah. I kind of love bringing those two together. And, you know, often people come in and they don't think, like the process is going to be what it is. Like they don't, they, they just kind of like, like, why am I eating crap? Mm. Um, and they don't know that we're going to start talking about, you know, their childhood or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, most people trust the process. So, um, so that's kind of one of my passions is the two together. And there's so that food counseling, there's so many different things around that. Cause then we can start talking about, okay, well, what are you eating and how can we improve what you're eating for your mental health? But it's also that kind of psychology behind if you're not eating the right thing, some people it's bad habits, but for some people there's there's, a, there's an underlying emotional issue there. Yeah. Yeah. That's really amazing and your line of work sounds absolutely fabulous and I feel like a lot of things do make more sense once you understand the root of it and it's yeah. very hard, well, I know personally that like it's very hard to go about something if like you don't really know where it's coming from or where you're supposed to go. So I feel like the fact that you give people that clarity is yeah. so awesome. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of power for them mm. in terms of, it can be really powerful in terms of going, I just, yeah, I can I can change what I'm eating because, yeah, yeah or I can work through what the issue is and that will help me yeah. Yeah, improve my improve my eating habits and improve my overall mood. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of coming, coming at it from like from both angles. Yeah. So we've still got a bit of time left. Is there anything else you would like to add? Um, I have a recent hobby. Yeah. Yeah. So um, my son started rock climbing last year um, on his birthday and I was standing there holding the rope going, this is kind of boring. <laughs> like it's cool watching your kid yeah. do something, but, you know, like it's kind of boring. And I'm always saying to people like, you know, take the opportunity to like integrate, you know, like use your time wisely. And, you know, if you're watching your kid at soccer practice, can you go and do some exercise at the same time? Mm. And I was like, well, maybe I should take my own advice. I don't love exercise. I do it because I need to. And I know it makes me feel good. Yeah. So I was like, well, maybe I could get up on that wall. So I started rock climbing with him and now we go once a week and I love it. I like it's the sense of achievement, mm-hmm. you know, like when you do a climb, you think, I don't know that I'm going to be able to do this. And my son's like a really good encourager. So yeah. he's like, well done, great job. So that's nice. Um, and also it's kind of like where I go, it's level. So it's like one to 10. So, you know, I like started off at a, like, you know, on twos yeah. and just kind of going, hey, like now I can do threes and now I can kind of do an overhang and my body's stronger. Like that feels really good as well. And it's not stronger because I'm going and like lifting weights, which you know, some people love to do. It kind of doesn't really float my boat. Um, 
my body's stronger because I'm doing an activity that like it's enjoyable and like the other day I was like hanging like I was holding my own body weight (laughs) which for some people they'll be like yeah whatever but you know for me like I'm kind of like I'm sort of little and physically I'm not like you know like I'm not like I'm not really built yeah um and so like I was holding my own body weight going hey like check me out like I can I can hold my own body weight and um Yeah, so that feels really good. And also, like, just, you know, my fingers are stronger. And so I had a really big moment this week where I've kind of been building up from, like, fours and fives. And I've been struggling with fives. And I saw this six and I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this a go. And I did it. And then, like, it was an auto belay. So there's, like, a like nobody's standing at the bottom holding the rope. It's like an auto rope thing. Oh, awesome. So you know, I came down off the auto belay and I kind of lay myself on the ground. And then I was like, just like literally putting my hands up in the air like this. And then everybody else around was like, oh, how'd you go? And I was like, I just did my first six. And there's like random people in the climbing gym going, that's so awesome. We love that. And I love that. Um, it's kind of not showy. Like everybody's just kind of dressed kind of grungy. And so, you know, like, you know, you don't feel like you have to like wear your really super cool active wear to the climbing gym as well. So I just kind of, I don't know, it's something that I've got into. It's really cool seeing my son develop, but it's also cool being able to like develop myself and feel like, you know, I'm doing something that's good for my body, but it's kind of good for my brain as well. So Yeah. yeah. That's really awesome. I feel like the adrenaline and like the energy and the <laughs> happiness you get from doing an activity that you really love is so unmatched. Oh, yeah. There's, yeah. yeah. And like, again, like lots of neurotransmitters released you when go. you do that, like so much dopamine, like yeah. the massive dopamine hit when you go, I did that, I completed that, you know, yeah. I achieved that. So, yeah. So that's Amazing. my little, that's my little um, joy story for the week. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. That was awesome. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. So thank you for joining us again, Penny. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this. So you've been a great host. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> it's been amazing having you here and it's been my pleasure. So for those of us who want to find out a bit more about you, where can we go? Oh, okay. Yep, absolutely. Forgot to talk about that. Um, <laughs> so my company is Mind Mood Food. Yep. Yep. So I talk about the mind, I talk about your mood and I talk about food. So you can visit my website. You can drop me an email at penny, penny at mindmoodfood.com.au or you'll probably be able to find me on LinkedIn or Facebook as well. So maybe even, uh, maybe even Instagram. Um, but yeah, so I'm, yeah, I'm everywhere, but yeah, drop me an email or have a look at my website. I'd love to hear from you. Beautiful. Well, we also have Penny's details in the description below. But to everyone listening, please don't forget to like and subscribe on whatever platform you're on. And we'll see you guys next time. You have been listening to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by the Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people find it and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website, pr.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Joanna. Thanks for tuning in.